to do that. And we're, we've been in a series about living friendships. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about how to be a husband. We've talked about how to be a wife. We've talked about parents and children. And this is the last uh, the last sermon in the series. We're going to talk about picking up pieces. Um, I didn't realize that they were going to sing that your plans are still to prosper. Yeah. Not that nice. But would you stand with me and I'll read a passage from Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Father, I thank you because of the plans that you have for us. And your promises are sure. They're yes. They're amen. To everyone who believes. You're not a man that you should lie. Or the son of man that you should repent of what you have to say. So Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there would be... There would be freedom in this place today. There would be a fresh, renewed hope. There would be faith in this place today that your word would encounter faith in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The home is a powerful thing. Whenever, um, whenever I'm talking with a young couple that, that I'm if I'm going to be performing a ceremony and I have the opportunity to talk to them beforehand, I, 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 I tell them, I, I think of the home as, as, being, um, as being something that's extremely powerful. If you were going to make an automotive uh, analogy to the home, we tend to think of it maybe in terms of the meaning. Because, I mean, after all, it's home, right? You get dollars, gifts, you put it in the thing. You need a minivan and you can't afford anything else. Home's like the minivan. No, home's not like the minivan. Home is like a very powerful sports car. It's got lots of horsepower. It has the ability to be a sweet ride. And if we're going to hand you the keys to this thing, you need to be ready to use it responsibly. Because when you're doing 200 miles an hour, which you're not likely to do in your minivan, if the sports car crashes, you got a big boom. You got, you got something really, really going on there. Um, Mark Robertson and I go out to lunch every now and then, and when we do, we just kind of, we kind of catch up and been friends for a long time, and we'll talk about family and stuff that's going on. And, um, and for a number of years, his business was just kind of, no pun intended, treading water. He's in water treatment business, but uh, it really wasn't, uh, you know, it was just barely getting by. And it's gotten better uh, over the last few years as the economy's picked up and things like that. But uh, so many times I go, okay, how's it going, brother? And he go, well, you know, the business is where this country. Kind of what home is really great. And he says, if I, as my old granddad used to always say, if the only problems you got are at the barn, you don't have any problems. It's when they move to the house that you've actually you've actually got problems. And what about when you do have problems? Prodigal children, prodigal parents, and. and Barrenness, broken dreams, no marriage, failed marriage. Can you pick up the pieces? How, how do you pick up the pieces?
Where's God in all of this? I want to start out uh, by talking about the, the no marriage issue because I've had a couple people uh, talk to me and kind of go, you know, well, hey, what about what about singles? Do you have, have anything to say about that? I mean, uh, all of this, you're talking about marriage and husbands and wives, parents and children. What, what, what about singles? Let me uh, point out a verse that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Paul's statements about marriage sometimes can be somewhat confusing. Because he goes on to say in the next verse, But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. What a ringing endorsement of the sacred institution of marriage. If you just can't control yourself, then I guess it's okay. But the passages that we've been reading for the last month, really, over in Ephesians, he speaks of marriage as a profound mystery. Since it's, 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 it's a picture of Christ in the church. And that is a kind of lofty standing. So what, what goes on here? You know, a lot of times we uh, often fail to get a definitive answer in Scripture to our questions because we're asking the wrong questions. And if the question that we're asking is, which is better? Well, you're not going to get an answer to that. But if the question that you're asking is, are both acceptable? Then the answer is clearly yes. Absolutely. And, and of, of people who are single, there, there are really two kinds. Except for those who are just not old enough to get married yet. I guess that's the third kind. But uh, there are those who, uh, who don't want to marry. And then there are those who would like to marry but aren't yet. And for those who don't want to marry, Paul says, your calling allows you to be more dedicated to the Lord. It allows you to, to be able to focus on the Lord and the things of the Lord and do the things that the Lord has called you to. And he says, that's, that's how I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do. Um, now, the world also offers a, 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 a semblance of this, um, a pseudo purpose, if you will. Uh, it's, don't get married because you can do what you want to do. Don't get married because you won't be responsible for anybody. Don't, don't get married because you can, you can have more fun. You'll be more free. You can focus on making more money, doing all of these kinds of things. So I would suggest, I, I would suggest our, our articles that are not worthy of being objects of devotion in our lives. If you feel called not to marry for the Lord's sake, there's a long and glorious tradition behind such a choice. There really is. Um, just, a, just a very few examples. Um, in this past century, Mother Teresa, uh, obviously she uh, was, was a nun, but she felt called to devote her life to the Lord. You don't have to enter into uh, a convent or into a monastery to do that, but you know, she did it. She couldn't have done what she had done if she, if she... She had a family. God gave her children. Uh, Francis uh, of Assisi uh, goes back a little further. I mean, how many husbands' wives will let them go out and talk to the animals all day? Oh, one. Okay. How of Assisi. And, but... 
you know, one that perhaps you might feel more of a connection to even in this last century would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because he, uh, he, he wasn't a monk, he wasn't uh, a nun, he was, a, he was a, a theologian and he was also a martyr in the, in the middle of the 20th century, toward the end of the, well, during the Second World War. Uh, he would not have been able to make some of the choices that he made. Cho- choices that led to so ultimately his martyrdom, okay, but but to do great things for God. He would not have been able to make those choices if he had had to make them based on what might happen to some other people that were close to him rather than being able to walk in himself. So, yes, that's fine. To those who want to marry but haven't gotten married yet, I've got two statements to make and you probably already know what they are, but let me let me encourage you. The, the first one is don't don't despair. Don't don't despair. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and and a future. Israel, when when he I, the reason I went back and did the, the verse before that when we read it earlier was because we often pull this verse out of context, but the context is this. Israel was was getting ready to go through a lengthy season of captivity. They, they were, it wasn't over. It wasn't, oh, okay, everything's fine now. Come on, it's going to be real good now. No, this verse comes right after one where it says, you're getting ready to go into 70 years of captivity. But don't despair. I haven't forgotten you. I, I know the plans that I the plans that I have for you, and they are plans to prosper. And we all know Romans 8:28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. And you know, and it's, and it's so easy to, to, to sing it. You know, and, and, and Jeff can even riff it. Lord, anyone, I didn't think you were there. You were there all the time. You were working behind the scenes, Lord. Oh, beat those drums, Steve. Let's just talk about where God was during that time. It's so easy to do that. But then when it comes down to reality, sometimes we tend to forget. We tend to forget. He's got, he's got this. He's got this going on. And that applies to whom you marry just as much as any other area of your life. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all of your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. When we were um, at the Lord's Chapel for about five years, Margaret and I worked with the youth, and then later on we were youth pastors for about two and a half years, and there were, uh, well, obviously there were a lot of girls and guys in the group, and I remember a couple of girls in particular who just really had strong hearts for the Lord, you know, and they were, you know, they were they were they were pretty the girls, and they they were smart, and they they were all the kinds of things that that girls are. They were interested in boys, but it just didn't seem like anything was ever really happening. And I know that they both got into their uh, into their panicky twenties, the, the panicky area of the twenties, as far as most people are concerned. But neither one of them panicked. <laughs> girls, yeah. neither one of them panicked. And boy, did God come through. Now, I'm not saying He can't come through for you when you're 20, but He can come through for you when you're 50. He absolutely can. And it's a whole lot better to wait till He comes through. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. 
And the second phrase is, is this. Don't, don't be desperate. But Because when you get desperate, you're going to make a bad choice. I don't know if y'all heard that or not. When you get desperate, you're going to make a bad choice. You're going to make a mistake. Um, a lot of you know the story of Mark and I, uh, when we met and everything. Um, and I'm not going to go into it. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it doesn't relate. But the backstory relates. Uh, the night that we met, which was eight days before we got engaged, but the night that we met, uh, I had gone to see a play with my mother. And the reason that I went to see a play with my mother is because the girl who was supposed to go to a movie with me that night stood me up. <laughs> that did not sound sincere. I walked and wondered what was wrong with this girl, but okay, that night. But, but she stood me up, and so I'm at this play with my mother. And, and after the play, Margaret comes walking over to me. Do you know how long it took me to get over that girl? Yeah, gone. Finished. Done. When the right time comes, it it will come. You say, well, you know, I, I, I was I was in my late twenties at the time. Go, well, I'm a little over my late twenties. Well, there's still hope. See us, Lewis. Got married at the age of 57, first time. Then Joe, Joy Davidson, uh, David Munn, actually, was her name. And, uh, you know, it's never too late for God. It's never, it's never too late for God. Well, what about failed marriage? Divorce hurts. Let me just talk about that. It hurts. When, when we first uh, came to the church here, I got two or three stories from there, but one of them was uh, there was, a, there was a gentleman in the church, and I, you know, at the time I, I thought he was old, but he was probably like 50 or something. And so he's a young man. And he, uh, and he wanted an appointment with me. He said, I'd like to talk to you. I said, no, sure, let's just do that. And uh, we sat in my office, and I can still see him. I can still... Know exactly where he was sitting, where I was sitting, and he said, "Preacher, why do you why do you just keep ragging on us divorced people?" Because I didn't think, you know, I mean, I've never been one to preach. You get divorced, and you're, you know, you're finished. And I always bring, really, what I'm going to bring today. But I, but I also make the point that you know, that's not. That's not really God's original intention for you. And, and it hurts. And if it can be avoided, it's not at all a good idea. Uh, and so I went, what, what, what do you mean? What, what, what are you saying? Why do I rag on you? Uh, and he said, preacher, I got divorced 20 years ago, and it still hurts every day. And I remember when, ooh. That may not be everybody's experience, but it sure was his experience. And he seemed to be he seemed to be perfectly perfectly doing well. I mean, had a nice life and they seem to be doing well. It still hurts every day. And, and if anyone here, but let me just say this because 
I think I need you at this point in time. If, if anyone here thinks they have nailed God's original intention every time and in, in every area of their lives, then they're just, they're whacked out. <laughs> First John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, and that would be somebody who has nailed God's original intention every time in every area of their lives. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. It goes on to say in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar. His Word is not in us. Now that doesn't mean that divorce is okay because nobody's perfect and everybody fails, so, you know, that's fine. Uh, no, that's not what that means. When I was five years old, I remember the house we lived in. And I remember the kitchen in the house we lived in. And I remember exactly where was sit the stove was situated in the room. And I will never forget where the stove was situated in the room. Because I remember as a five-year-old, seeing this nice, shiny, red thing on the top of it. And reaching up and going... I've been forgiven, but I wish it hadn't happened. Right, right. Did, did, was not a good experience for me in my life. I've never forgotten it. Fortunately, it doesn't hurt every day, but it sure did for a few days. And so what this does mean, we can't really sit in judgment on others. But there are so many who do. Divorce hurts enough anyway. It doesn't help that there are many in the church at large who look at divorce as, uh, as if it were some sort of unredeemable disqual disqualification for service of the Lord, if not actually the irrevocable road to, to eternal damnation. And there are those who feel that way. The first year I was here, there was a young couple that came, and uh, I, I, I don't remember the names. It's been quite a while since I since I've seen them. But uh, the man and his and and, uh, and and they had two little kids, and I went to visit them. And I'm thinking, I knew something just wasn't something was a little off. Uh, I went to visit their house. I remember they were sitting on the sofa, and I was sitting on the chair opposite them. And you know, we were just kind of you know, where are you from? I had you had you find a church, you know. Blah blah blah, and um, but something just the edge wasn't. There was an edge there, buzz, uh, which finally got resolved when they looked at each other and said, uh, "We're not married." By the way, we really got to get this. You guys, you're not. Uh, well, let's fix that. I said, "Let's fix that," and so we uh, we did. They they uh, they got married, and their family came. And you would have thought I was preaching their funeral. I mean, it was. And I had family members coming up to me afterwards. And, and, and literally, I had a family member come up to me afterwards and go, well, I guess, I guess that was a good thing for them to do, but you know they're going to hell now. Ooh. Well, no, I don't know that. Uh, you might know it. Uh, where'd you get your information? There was another uh, another couple in the church that they were here when we first came. Oh, sweet older couple, the Jenkinses. And uh, 
I remember Brother Carl. They come to every service. They put, you know, they were not on a fixed income, but they they'd always give. And they were there every time the doors were open. And I remember going up to Brother Carl one time and saying, Brother Carl, uh, you know, we, we need some help with ushering here. We're getting to the point where we need some people to help do some uh, some of the ushering. Uh, would you would you consider doing that? And he goes, well, Brother Ronnie, I can't. I'd say, I've been divorced. Somebody has done something to this thing. Somebody, somebody has poured some salt in this one and rubbed it in. The, the Assemblies of God, which, which we were part of until about, about five years ago, uh, if you apply for credentials in the church uh, as an as a, uh, ordained pastor uh, and you had committed first-degree murder, in your background, uh, hey, God can forgive that. You can be used. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, God forgives. Come on in. Uh, but if you had a divorce on your record, disqualification. And they're not the only ones. I mean, there's there's a lot of organizations that go that way. How does that even make any sense? Seriously. When you get right down to it. And speaking of making sense, many say that the real issue isn't divorce, but remarriage. That's kind of like an unforgivable sin or something. That, that, so, so they believe you can be forgiven for divorce if you agree to live the rest of your life in misery or loneliness or whatever. You, you, can, you can be forgiven for dissolving your marriage vows, but not for getting on with your life. It's kind of... And so we're no longer under the law. We're under grace, except for one area of our lives, which the New Testament now puts us under a more onerous law than Moses ever did. Going, mm, don't think so. I don't think so. Well, what are the grounds for divorce? Biblical grounds for divorce. Some say sexual immorality is the only grounds for Divorce based on Matthew 19 and Mark 10. And some expanded these grounds to include desertion by an uh, unbelieving spouse based on 1 Corinthians 7. And, and if you insist on, on reducing divorce to legalistic technicalities, then I would point out that Matthew 19 and Mark 10, Jesus is answering a specific question. It's being asked of him, is it? All right for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Any and every reason, huh? She burned the biscuits. I told her not to. She did it again. She's not as pretty as she used to be. Any and every reason. And Jesus is going, no. Let me tell you what the reason is why divorce was allowed in the first place. And, and I, it's not me, it's Jesus saying the reason why divorce was allowed in the first place is because your hearts are hard. If one party's heart, or both parties sometimes, but if one party's heart has grown so hard to the point of being unwilling, unable to change, recognize even their need for change, then divorce 
Is there to prevent continued abuse? And to allow people to move out of misery and get on with their lives? Because their hearts are hard. It's going to hurt. If it can be avoided, it needs to be. But sometimes it can't. And how does God look at it? You see, God knows our fallen state. There, the reason that the law was came in the first place was to keep us from destroying each other. To keep us from, from being mean to each other. To keep us from, from exploiting each other. That, if you read the law, that's what it does. But we're still going to do it. And so there's some elements in the law, the worst being one of them, that was there to go, okay, when it gets too bad, then you can move on. That's the way that I see it. How does God look at a divorced person? How does He see it? That's, that's, the, that's the big question. That's the important thing. Well, for sure, he doesn't look at it the way we do, the way men do. When Samuel went to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king over Israel, he saw uh, Jesse's oldest son, who was big and impressive and charismatic, and, and, and God said, uh-uh, not him. He said, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. People pass judgment based on, oh, well, that's what I think they think they're thinking. God looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart over in Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So what are God's ways? Will God restore a divorced person? Well, Abraham. He used him. He said, Hagar away. So, well, now wait a minute. Hagar wasn't necessarily really his wife. She was his concubine. Well, how does concubinage fit into your theology? God certainly used him. David not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband to try and cover it up. He was restored. The fruit of he and Bathsheba's union produced Solomon. Not the adulterous union, but a union later on ended up producing something very good. And you go, oh, well, he was David. He was David. No, he was just a guy. He was a man after God's own heart. He made a big mistake. But this brings us to the key for restoration and and fruitfulness, and it's this. Here's the key. The key is repentance. And you may say, well, but I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't my, you still feel guilty. I promise you, you still feel guilty. Because that's how we are. That's how we're wired. Oh, if I had only, if I, if I hadn't let it go that far, if I had, if I had only seen these signs earlier and not... If I had only made this choice at this point in time, then perhaps it could have been... 
There's still that there's that guilt thing. Regardless of what the what the facts are in the case, one fact that is undeniable is you're going to feel guilty. And what you do with guilt is you repent. You repent. After David was called out for his sin, he wrote the song. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquities and cleanse me from sin. Not all are guilty, but all feel guilt. And the prescription is, is, is repentance. He will accept you. He, he will not turn you away. David went on to say, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. It's not a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise unless they have a divorce. It's not, you, will, you are with us through the fire and through the flood unless they've been divorced and remarried. No, He's with us through the fire and through the flood. A broken and contrite heart, He will not despise or cast away. And there's freedom in that. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, is divorce a sin? Well, anything that misses God's perfect will in your life is a sin. Whether it's divorce or whether it's, you know, looking at somebody and going, I hate them. Or, you know, I don't want to be around them. Or, you know, anything is. And don't let the judgmental attitudes of men cause you to harden your heart. Because it's so easy. Especially in the church. Well, I, I don't think this one so much, but especially in the church, it's so easy that once people begin to look at you and go, well, you know, you are, it's so easy to get real defensive. You go, well, it wasn't my fault. You know, and the heart gets hard. And then you can't repent. And they're controlling your life. But God wants you to be free. Repentance brings release from bitterness and unforgiveness. You say, well, you know what? I repented and I still hate it. Oh. <laughs> Do it again. Yeah. And you know what? You're probably going to have to do it again. And do it again. So, what do you mean? Am I lost my salvation? No, you're saved, but you need to repent. That's what it boils down to. When, when, when John was writing and he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wasn't writing to sinners. I mean, he was writing to sinners. But he wasn't writing to the unsaved. He was writing to people in the church. Some of whom may be unsaved, but, but he, was, he, was, he was writing to, to his brothers and sisters, to believers. He'd already made that very clear. Do it again. Can God restore and use a, 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 such a divorced person? Of course He can. Ah, Lord God, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I mean, He split the Red Sea wide open for Moses. That, that would be a pretty hard thing. He stopped the earth from spinning on its axis for Joshua so that the sun and moon would stand still in the, in the sky. He made fire fall from heaven. For, for, for Elijah, he made 
dry bones live for Ezekiel. I mean, Jairus' daughter and, and the widow of Nain's son and, and Mary and Martha's brother come out of the grave after they have been killed. There's nothing too hard for him. He can do this. He's got this. He can use, he can use you regardless of what the background is. God uses cracked pots. <laughs> we have a full-time pastor who's been divorced. We have almost a third of our eldership who's been divorced. None of them are proud of it. But all of them are restored and fruitful and useful in the kingdom of God. So I was preparing for this sermon. I, I ran, ran across this picture, actually, I was looking for. Some of you know Sam and Vicki Watson, and a number of you, uh, most of you don't. This was the first couple that I married when I became pastor here uh, almost 27 years ago now. And uh, it was Vicki's uh, second marriage. It was Sam's third. And I, uh, you know, I didn't, I known, I, I knew Sam very well. And uh, it didn't take too long to get to know Vicki. And it wasn't a matter of it wasn't a matter of me going, uh, well, Sam's my friend, so even though he's been divorced, I'll do this marriage for him. No. The, the reason why I did it, because there was a time in my life when I felt like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. But the reason why I did it was because I saw two people who loved the Lord whose lives had been shattered by some unfortunate choices who had made a good choice. And I said, we wanted to be a part of putting their life back together. And it's, like I said, it's almost 27 years ago. Yeah, they're, they're, they're still married. It's been a very good marriage. They have two daughters. One of whom is in her early 20s, and she's already started a missions organization to uh, work with, uh, with, with orphans in the Dominican Republic and, and in Haiti, and has raised a lot of money to be able to send and do that and help people. Uh, the other one, the other one who's in her late 20s kind of kind of went in another direction. But the last time I, I talked to Sam, um, we, we get together every few months and just kind of catch up on where our families are and what's going on in our lives. Uh, he, he told me, he said, uh, he said, Natalie, who's, who's the older one, and, and Laura, the younger one, said, they had gotten to the point where they just wouldn't even talk to each other because Laura was really pursuing the Lord with this great passion and Natalie was just totally going in the opposite direction. And, and he said, I, he was at home one day and he was looking for Laura. And they have a big house. Let me tell you, people get lost in that house. Uh, but they had this great big house and he was trying to find Laura and he couldn't find her and he looked everywhere but Natalie's room. Because I knew she wouldn't be there because they don't talk to each other. And so finally he went, well, this is the only place that's left. And he opened the door, and yes, she was there. And yes, they were both embracing and weeping. And Natalie had come back to the Lord and given her heart back to Jesus and restored a relationship with her sister and her family. I know God can take people who've had divorces, put their lives back together, make them fruitful and useful in the kingdom. Because God has plans, not only because I've seen it, 
But because God has plans to prosper. To do good. Jesus was in the synagogue one day on the Sabbath and came upon a woman who was who was bent almost double from, from affliction. She bent she she'd been like that for 18 years. And he healed her. And when he healed her, the synagogue ruler got up and said, There's six days during the week that you can be healed. Be healed on those. Don't come and do it on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, You hypocrite. You hypocrite. You go out on the Sabbath, you untie your donkey. You, 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 you untie your, your, your animals. Let them, let them loose to do what they need to do. You cut yourself slack when it's something you need. This daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, shouldn't she be untied on this day? And so if you're bound, if you're, if you're tied, I can't do that because of something that happened. doesn't have to be divorced, but something that happened in the past. God wants to set you free. Would you stand with me? For those who want to pray with people, come forth. We are all broken people, but there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the Holy Spirit. He came not only to bring good news to the poor, but to set at liberty those who are captive. If you need be set at liberty. Or any, any, any need that you have, because nothing is too hard for you. When it comes to that. Uh, if you don't need to come, worship with us. We'll worship with you on us. We'll wait on you. You come.
Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world because we are broken and He can make us whole. He sent His Son into the world because the thief has come, stolen and destroyed, and He can bring abundance. May that abundance be yours. May that wholeness be yours. May you walk in the freedom of one who is redeemed. And may everything in your life be restored. In Jesus Christ, our Lord.